Okay, so welcome to class two, which is really the first class where we actually are getting into the Tanya. The goal today is to whiz through chapters one, two, and three. So the, the shear is called, what is a Jew? And um, the very first thing that we need to be cognizant of, just out of the box, is the Rebbe basically... The, um, the whole Sefer is based on the Pasuk, that this thing is very close to you in your mouth and in your heart to do it, which basically the Rebbe is, is um, proposing from bringing a Pasuk from Chumash that Avodah Hashem is something that is very natural to us. It's not unnatural to us in any way, shape, or form. And if we feel that it is unnatural, that's because we've become artificial. The more natural we are, the more in sync we are with who we are, the more natural uh, it is to serve Hashem. Not just for a Jew, for every part of creation. Okay, um, and then another hanukkah that he makes is basically that joy Simcha is a prerequisite for Avodah Hashem. There is no such thing as Avodah Hashem without Simcha. And that's a very important, um, that's a very important um, way of gauging, if you're pushing too hard, if you, the, the gauge to know that you're pushing too hard, and we need to be pushing very much, but the gauge to know that we're pushing too hard is when the Simcha isn't there. If there's no Simcha, then we have to reassess um, if we should be pushing as hard as we're pushing, but we should be pushing hard. Okay, we can break down reality into two parts, creator and creation. And in reality, there's only creator, but let's just try and make things simple. Creator and creation. The Jew is the creature that Hashem made, the being that Hashem designed, that is the the, the glue that sticks those two infinitely removed realities together. The Jew is the being that bridges infinity with finity, creator with creation. And part of that has dictated that we need to be part creation and part creator. That's what a Jew is. What's the part of us that's creating, that's of creation? That's what we call the body, uh, or we're going to talk about in a minute called the Nefesh of Bahamis or the Nefesh of Chiyunis, the animal soul or the human soul or the natural soul or the life force soul, Lavdafka animal soul, but it's very much of creation. Then we have the Neshama, which we're going to call over here as well the Nefesh of Akis, the godly soul, that makes you Jewish. If you have one of them, you are Jewish. If you don't have one of them, you're not Jewish. That's the definition of being Jewish, that you have one of these souls. So the Jew is the being that has one foot, so to speak, his feet on the ground and his head in Shemayim, meaning he bridges that gap. Okay, now just the concept of a Nefesh, um, the Nefesh... We could translate it as soul, uh, but that's a little bit misleading. It gives you like, everyone always comes up with like, like a Casper the ghost kind of figure in their mind. But it's much, um, it's much more specific than that. Uh, we could call it a drive. We could call it energy. Then that gets a little too generic as well. 
Um, what we need to understand is that these souls that the Jew has, the Nefesh of Bahamas, the Nefesh of and the Nefesh of Akis, the godly soul, um, are entire personalities. That's a good word to have in mind, personality, meaning they are composed of intellect and emotion, which we're going to talk about today, um, and other things as well that we'll leave out for right now. Um, okay. So we need to just quickly take a time out here and understand the three qualities of creation. Creation is divided. Remember, we divided reality into two parts, creator and creation. Creation divides into three parts. It divides into um, really into two, and then one of those parts divides and in, subdivides into two. We have Kedusha and we have Klipa. Kedusha we could describe as being transparent to Hashem. It has no sense of self. It has no, um, it has no agenda of its own. That's, um, that's uh, Kedusha. Hi, Dad. Um, and Klipa is um, basically covers, covers the godliness, the, the, the life force that's in every which is in every creation. Um, Kleba means husk or shell um, and that or peel. Um, and that's exactly what it is. It's on a spiritual level, on a conceptual level, it's a, a shell um, that conceals the divine energy that is vivifying that creation. Kleba subdivides into two categories. The higher level is called Kleba's Noga. That's a shell that conceals, but not utterly. So we could refer to that as being translucent. The lower level is called Gimoclepus Atomeus, which although we call it the three unholy clepers, um, it's, it's, we never refer to it in three parts. We always refer to it as one thing, which we're just going to call the dark cleper. That's completely opaque. That means no light passes through. So the three levels of creation are Kedusha, which is like transparent, that's glass. That, that through anything that's Kadosh, for example, a Sefer Torah or a, or a, a Tzaddik, a genuine Tzaddik, um, a Devar Torah, um, anything that, that is holy, intrinsically holy, that's Kadosh, that means it's transparent to the creator. And if you are not completely covered with Klipa, when you see something that's Kadosh, the creator will come to mind. The level below that is Klipa's Noiga, which we said is translucent. So just like when you look through milky glass, you know, like frosted glass, you don't know really what's on the other side. You know that it's night or day, there's a concealment, but not an utter concealment. So light is, light is allowed to pass through. And then you've got the Gimel Klippus and Timaeus that's opaque like a brick wall that does not allow any light to pass through. So those are the three, three levels. Again, we'll just say one more time, just to, so we can try and remember. We have Kedusha, which is transparent to God. We have Klippus Noiga, which is translucent. And we have Gimel Klippus and Timaeus, which is opaque. Kedusha could also be called mitzvah, something that's intrinsically a mitzvah, an act or a speech or, or, or a thought or an object that is holy. Um, 
Klippus Neuge would be called uh, something that's permissible. For example, kosher meat is not a mitzvah to eat kosher meat. It's an avera, it's a sin to eat non-kosher meat. It's not a mitzvah to eat all the kosher meat there is. So Klippus Neuge would be kosher meat, Shalom Tomer, would be, would be kosher meat, meaning it's available to be, um, it's available to be elevated. It's permissible. And Gimel Klippus Timaeus would make up the realm of the forbidden, where a Jew isn't allowed to go, like, uh, like trafe meat or meat and milk or shatners, woolen, linen mixed together, etc. Okay. Um, so now let's introduce the, the bad guy. So we have the Nefesh of Bahamas. This is the part of the Jew that is of creation. It's a created being, it's mortal, and that's really what drives it, because it is utterly aware of its inevitable, um, um, of its inevitable, Eliezer just said demise, I hear that, I did write that, but I think I crossed that on the end. It's just, it's very aware of the fact that it's not going to be at some point, very aware of it. And that is what's driving all of its activity, all of its, um, all of its, um, all of its activity is basically stemming from a fear of death and a fear of non-existence. So you can actually check yourself to know when, if you can be really honest with yourself, and this isn't so straightforward, but if you can, if you can look when you're doing something or speaking something or thinking something, and ask yourself, in all honesty, where is this act coming from? What's the root of this act? If you could come back to this place of fear of death, now that's a little bit abstract, we're going to make it a little bit easier in a minute, you'll realize that this is coming from what's called your Nefesh of Bahamas. Okay, so the Nefesh of Bahamas is actually a, a quasi-physical creature, it's what they refer to as the most refined of the coarse and the most coarse of the refined. It's spiritual, but at the same time, it actually lives in the blood. You could probably re relate to it as like the way that a battery holds charge. The actual juice in the battery holds the electrical charge. Um, therefore, there's some kind, I mean, electricity is, is spiritual, basically. So there's this place where... The electricity is actually held within the physical, held within liquid, physical, you know, homer. How do you say homer? Matter. Thank you. Matter. So, so the the nefesh of Bahamas actually lives within our blood. You could think of it as like the energy charge in a battery, uh, but it has a personality and it has an agenda, a very very strong agenda. Um, now, these are the four things that. A drive, well, we said, what drives the Nefesh of Bahamas? The Nefesh of Bahamas is driven by its fear of death. Everything is being, everything is, is directed, all activity is directed to mitigating that fear. And that is done in four ways, okay? This is, this is really helpful. Pleasure, dominance, recognition, and identification. 
Now everyone here has to be, uh, we have to clench our fist and be, um, uh, be real with ourselves because this is, this is uh, we are, what's the word? We are entering into, um, um, what's the word? Um, um, <laughs> um, sensitive waters. Okay, so we're going to be very, we're not going to ask anyone to get up on stage and like confess, but in our own minds, this is, this is where we're going, okay? The Tanya demands this of us all the time. Well, life demands it of us, but the Tanya does it really. That's one of the reasons why Hasidus, there's such a, such a kickback against learning Hasidus. Everyone's happy to learn Gemara and uh, Halacha, but one of the big kickbacks against Hasidus is that Hasidus forces you to take a genuine um, and honest uh, look at yourself. So these four things are really an extension of our trying to mitigate our fear of death. Pleasure, dominance, recognition, and identification. So I could literally spend, you know, at least an hour on each one, but I'm going to do them all, all in, a, in about a minute. Pleasure. When somebody experiences pleasure, they know they're alive. Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Yeah, he was wrong. The, 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 the ultimate statement would be, I experience pleasure, therefore I am. When we're experiencing pleasure, we know in the most profound, uh, in the most profound, with the most profound level of knowing that we exist, that we are. So really pleasure, if you really wanted to go deeper into it, pleasure is really what drives, is really the, the shoresh, the, the source of our, our, our desire to survive, but we're not going to go there right now. Dominance, when you're dominating someone, preferably someone more than something, um, that also gives you a, that solidifies your experience of existence. When you're recognized, when, when someone recognizes you for, for good or for bad, just being recognized, that's why people on YouTube do the most ridiculous things just to get likes and everyone looks at them and thinks they're an idiot, but just to be recognized, just to have that number of views go up is already solidifying your existence. And then really the most profound one of them all is identification, which is when you identify with something, this again, we could speak about for hours and hours. When you identify with something, you and that, thing or concept or other actually merge with each other so when you identify with your with your with your property portfolio yeah which i don't have or you identify with your car or you identify with your religion or you identify with your ideology or whatever it is your nefesh of bahamas is borrowing existence from that other and it's using that to again solidify its own existence, which means to mitigate its fear of death. Okay, now there exist two levels of Nefesh Bahamis, the Jewish one and the non-Jewish one. This is where we get into the, uh, the, the racist part of Tanya, which is not racist at all, to be honest. Um, 
and it really needs to be understood much deeper than how we're going to speak it out and no one should feel that they they have a grasp on on this information because it takes a it, it takes a there's a lot a lot of learning goes into getting this clear um but as we said before we have clepus nigra and we have the gimel clepus tomas we have the completely opaque level of clepa and then we have the translucent level of clepa two different two different levels we say that the nefesh Bahamis of the Jew comes from the translucent level, which means it's available to be elevated. It means it's a mixture of toiv and ra, of good and evil. The nefesh Bahamis, the non-Jewish nefesh Bahamis, is said to be kulu ra, means completely evil. And that means absolute um, clarification because it doesn't mean anything like what it sounds as we said last week definition of good and evil is good is the ability to recognize another and evil is the inability to recognize another the non-jewish soul nefesh bahamis naturally is able to recognize the reality of another the Nefesh of Bahamis of the non-Jew, and again, there's lots of exceptions to the rule. We're just talking generalizations. The, the Nefesh of Bahamis that we say is of the, of the nations of the world is not naturally able to recognize another. But it can, and it must, train itself using its intellect to yes, be able to recognize the reality of another. Okay, so we're, we're gonna explain that more. Um, the, um, when we say evil, we're talking basically about, like we just said, this self-preservation, this inability to recognize another. And it means it has a very profound sense of independence, separation, fragmentation, isolation, in short, it has a very strong sense of self. Um, it does, however, the Jewish one we said, contains an element of good, which means naturally is able to recognize another. And that expresses itself primarily in the two attributes of kindness and mercy. To be kind to someone means by definition, you recognize them, you recognize that they exist. And to have mercy on someone also presupposes that as well. The non-Jewish nefesh is like we said, has no natural ability for that, no natural ability. Now, just to quote, I've got two quotes here. I've got one from Tony Robbins, which was written about 30 years ago, and one from Antigonus Isoichoi from Pikiavas, which was written about 18, 1900, 1800 years ago, 1900 years ago. Um, and this is what Tony Robbins said. I thought there was so, Tony Robbins, if you don't know, is a, a self-help guru. Um, he's a really, really good guy. Does a huge amount of good in the world. A tremendous philanthropist um, and just, just has helped so many millions and millions of people. Really, really good guy. Um, and this was his statement I pulled out of his book. He quoted himself in, in his book, what's the name of that book? Um, the Giant Within, I think, yeah, Awaken the Giant Within or something. Um, he quotes all these people, you know, uh, and then he quotes himself. And this is what he quoted himself saying. 
uh, only those who have learned the power of sincere and selfless contribution experience life's deepest joy, true fulfillment. I'll read that again. It's so profound. Only those who have learned the power of sincere and selfless contribution experience life's deepest joy, true fulfillment. You see the undertones, the subtle selfhood in that statement of selflessness. Being selfless gives you the ultimate level of fulfillment. Now, that's very much in line. Don't get me wrong. Modern psychology is massive. But from the research that I've done, it seems like the general consensus by modern psychologists is that true altruism is not possible. Dig down deep enough and you'll find some level of subtle, subtle level of self, self, um, what's the word? Self, um, that is the general consensus for my research that is the general consensus of of modern day psychology um the religious people say differently maybe but the the secular people definitely say like that um on the other hand in Avos, who was from the time of the Tenoyim, he wrote, don't be like the servants who serve the master for reward. Rather, be like the servants who serve the master not to see reward. And then he says, and let the fear of heaven be on you. But the, the point is that that's a true statement of selflessness. Don't be like the servants who serve their master for reward. Be like the servants who serve their master not for reward. So what are you serving him for? How could you serve someone without some level of reward, however subtle it may be? That's true goodness. And you can. The reason why you can serve someone selflessly is because you appreciate that they're a real person. Now, this is our, this is our segue into a very important idea and um, we've got about five. no that's called love that's called love you could call that love yeah the love is we're, we're, yeah you could you could call that love but you could call it the problem with love is there's there's too many there's too many shades of love and, and a lot of them are, are tainted like very strongly with self so okay so what's the practical difference um, yes, agreed, agreed. Um, what's the practical difference between a Jew and a non-Jew? So this is what I've received from my Rebbe, um, and it, it's like this. The non-Jew has no natural ability to put another's needs above his needs. No natural ability. I, but you see all over the world in 2022, non-Jews doing amazing selfless acts for each other. So this is the key word, natural ability. The non-Jew has no natural ability to do 
Yeah. Um, everyone, I think all humans have a, a, a desire to understand reality. Um, but the, the non-Jew has no natural ability to put the needs of another above his needs. How do we know when somebody appreciates the existence of another truly is they are able effortlessly to put the other's needs above their needs. The non-Jew has no natural ability to do that, but the non-Jew can use his intellect to train himself to become that. And that is the purpose of the non-Jew in this world, to train himself to rise above his nature, to be able to put the needs of another human being above his needs. Now, what's the purpose of the Jew? The Jew has a natural ability to put the needs of another above his needs. So that can't be the purpose, that can't be his purpose because he does that naturally. That's his robotic programmed nature. So that can't be why he's here, because we have to ascend above our nature. The purpose of the Jew is to ascend from his natural, um, his natural state of being able to put another human being's needs above his needs. And don't get me wrong, he can also fall below that if he, he untrains himself, becomes spoiled or whatever. His, his purpose is to be able to put the to put God's needs above his own needs. And that does not come natural to the Nefesh Bahamis of the Jew. The Nefesh Bahamis of the Jew being of creation is able to put the needs of another creation above his own needs. But he's not able naturally to put the needs of his creator above his needs. And that's the purpose of the Jew. And that's the difference of the two avoders between the non-Jewish avoder and the Jewish avoder. The non-Jewish avoder is to become a perfect human being. The, you could say it like this. The non-Jew, his free will is between animal and human. And he has to strive to be a human. He has to strive to be the most elevated human he can be. The natural, the natural avoider, the natural um, work of the Jew is between human and godly. The fact that some of us are struggling between animal and human, that's because we've fallen because of Gullus and we've fallen down and we've, we've taken on what's called a second nature. But a, a textbook Jew who hasn't been tainted by the world, his fight is, pardon me, between human and godly, not between animal and human. The non-Jewish fight is between animal and human, and the Jewish fight is between human and godly. Who's better, who's worse? Ridiculous question. That question is coming from a fragmented, um, a fragmented, um outlook on reality like everyone understands that an organization is a is a is a cohesive whole and every part of the every part of the organization is intrinsically important the point is that the jew is the being that was created who is here to bind creator to creation infinity to finity and as such he is he has a part of him that is completely godly of creator and a part of him that is of creation okay oh we're doing really good okay so 
let's introduce now. Everyone's okay? We good? Yeah? Okay. So I've made these sheets for everyone, by the way, that you can go back through because we're I'm I'm piling on the information, but it's uh I'm, I'm well maybe better maybe better than saying Jew and non-Jew, it's human being and Jew. Human and Jew. You can say that, yeah, that's probably more <laughs> more politically correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um okay, so now what about the Nefesh Lakis? What about the godly soul? We know that all human beings have this this human animal soul and there's two levels of that there's the one that can appreciate by the way there are lots of non-jews who do have a um who do have this um this this natural soul that is of klipas noiga especially in this generation and you've seen that the the um the, the um global community so to speak has progressed i mean just just for example the war in the ukraine is probably I mean, Vietnam as well, but go, go back 500 years and tell me if there would be such a thing as a, an outcry against the war. You know, there was the concept of people being horrified by war. The, in the old days, the only thing that you would think about war is, I hope it doesn't come to me. Nowadays, you're horrified about a war happening, you know, 3,000 miles away from you where you don't know anyone, it's not relevant, whatever. That shows you that the human element of the world has become very elevated relatively to wherever it has been in the past. And that's to do with the intellect, because the, the, the communal intellect of, of, the, of, the globe, of, of, the, of the human species has been rising and rising and rising itself higher and higher, raising itself higher. Okay. The nefesh lakis is not of this world. The Jewish soul, again, which makes you Jewish, which we're going to call the nefesh lakis, this is of creator. This is not a creation, or at least the very essence of it is not a creation. It is held within a created vessel, but the actual essence of this soul is not of creation. And that's why it says that Hashem blew this soul into man. Blowing means it comes from your inner breath. Speaking, you can speak for many hours, but you can't blow up balloons for many hours. In fact, you can't blow up balloons for that long at all until you're, you're, you're genuinely out of breath. Because breath, your deeper breath, comes from really within you. And the breath of speech comes from a very external place. Now, I'm not going to get into this whole thing there's a whole thing that i i would you would really do well to if you read up i've linked an essay which is uh describing the difference between the inner will and the outer will um i'm not going to get into that now because that will take us too off the subject um but but i i strongly suggest you read that because it's very important to get these concepts um clear on a very very on a very superficial level your outer will is when you do something with an ulterior motive. That doesn't mean an evil thing. Like for example, getting in your car to go to the shop is part of your outer will. Like you don't actually wanna get in your car, you just wanna to go to the shop. So you have to get in your car and drive there. That's called your outer will. Your inner will, for example, would be interacting with your children where that's something desire, you're desiring of that interaction in and of itself. It hasn't, it's not a means to an end. 
So again, we could spend we could spend an hour or two just talking about that, but I, I'm going to leave it there. Um, the um, just just very importantly to to leave this here is free will. The nefesh of Bahamas, your natural soul does not have free will. Free, nor does your nor does your godly soul. Your godly soul also doesn't have free will. Free will is created by the interplay between the godly soul and the animal soul. Okay, we're not going to get into this now. We will discuss it in detail later, Bezrat Hashem. But I just want you to know that free will, when you make a decision to not eat the cake because you want to be healthy, that isn't actually implementing your free will. That's just called being intelligent. That's called thinking in a certain way. That's not that's not the definition of true free will. In in Chabad Hasidus, we make a difference. We we talk about bechira, which really means will. They call it free will, and bechira chofshis, which means free will. So bechira choosing, you have the ability to choose between the cake and health, but that's not called free will. We're going to leave that there. I didn't explain that at all. So if you feel confused, that's a good thing. Okay. The structure of the soul. This is incredibly, um, not really, what's the opposite of realistic? Optimistic of me to try and be able to give this over in eight minutes. But Bezrat Hashem will try. Okay. The soul is broken, and we're talking about both, both souls here, the concept of a soul, the animal soul or the godly soul. So we're learning it in context. In the actual, in the Tanya itself, uh, he's speaking specifically about the godly soul. But later on, he shows you that it's exactly the same, just a mirror image for the, for the animal soul. The soul is divided into 10 faculties, we can call them, aspects, faculties, energies whatever you want to call them um and they mirror the system that hashem used to create his to create his creation those 10 parts subdivide into two parts which we will call intellect and emotions intellect takes three of those 10 parts and emotions takes seven of those around that finger takes seven of those 10 parts. Um, intellect is divided um, into three, and that is, as, as everyone knows, Chochmah, Bina, and Das, which is where the acronym Chabad comes from, Chochmah, Bina, and Das. Um, the emotions, although they divide into seven, um, they truly, for the for for the sake of simplicity they really divide into two and then the then the, they combine into different ways and and devolve into other other but, but to understand them as two um the two emotions are ahava and yira ahava is love and yira you translate as fear but fear and awe is good respect is also good so what is ahava and yira Ava is in this context. Now there are there are much more profound levels of love, but this is the most common level love that we experience. Love is 
the desire to come towards attraction and fear or awe is the desire to move away which you could call repulsion but that's a little stark um we're not going to be able to talk about the other the other faculties uh, the other how they how they devolve but it is very interesting maybe another time i'll give a class on that okay so what's hochma Hochmah is the beginning of your conscious, um, of your of your conscious reality. It's when an idea pops into your mind in its entirety. The whole idea is there. You see the whole thing clearly in your mind. The the new Chesed project. It's bang. The whole thing is there, and you're like, wow! It's completely inspirational. Um, we could call Hochma the, 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 the part of the mind that discovers the idea. Once the idea has been discovered, flash. Huh? Flash. it's like a flash, people call it a flash, but we'll use the word discovered. Once the idea has been discovered, the, um, once the idea has been discovered, the next process that takes that newly discovered idea is called Bina. That's the idea now that develops it. Okay, so like just for example, you walk past, I'll give a give a, a dogma for Tome. You walk past a big piece of land and like it just pops into your head, wow, we could build this big this big building here. And in like a split second, you see the entire thing with all the, you know, the, the thousand uh, units and all the parks and everything, the whole thing there, yeah? Now, what's the next step? I mean, I don't know, but I'm guessing the next step is you start making some phone calls and now that, that little thing like that starts to actually become something material. As it was in Hochmer, when you discovered the idea, it was... It was nothing. It was just a. It was just a genetic code. It was. It was just nothing. And now, once we start to put the pieces into place, and we get the architects, and we start build, we start uh, with the with the suppliers, and we start with the planning, and we start now. It, that idea starts to take length and breadth and depth. We haven't actually built anything at all. It's still completely abstract. It's still within your mind. But now it's taking shape and it's taking length and breadth and depth. That's Bina. Das, so, so and this is really a really nice way to remember it. So Hochma discovers the idea. Bina develops the idea. And Das identifies with the idea. Now, in regards to the building project, it's a little difficult to talk about that but maybe not maybe not what what you could in fact we could go further with the building project so you saw the piece of land bang the whole thing's in your mind now you start with the architects and with the planners and with the suppliers and with the contractors and and now it's really taking shape in your mind now the more you invest in the planners and the and the architects and the surveyors and the this and the that's and the technicians and all that stuff the more you start to emotionally connect with the idea, the more you start to identify with the idea. Now, what happens when someone sitting next to you, you hear them mention that place, you know, the, the, uh, the old parking lot in downtown Jerusalem, which is the piece of land that you saw, you're like, oh, you're, you're there. 
that's you're you're there now. It's it's personal because the beaner has been invested in with such an intensity that now you have become invested personally, and now you have an opinion. That's Das. Das is Adam knew his wife Eve. That's the biblical concept of knowing. And that's the most intimate level of merging with another. When, when um, a man and a woman are involved intimately with each other, that's the ultimate level of merging. That's one plus one equals one. And that's what happens by dust. When you merge with the idea to the point where it's not, it's not an idea anymore, it's you. You wouldn't quote the idea. This is just how you understand reality. This is you. That's Das. And that's why Das breaks off into love and fear. Because once you have merged with the idea and you are now invested, now you're going to have an opinion. What's an opinion? Opinion, basically, in, in very simple language, is an attraction or an a repulsion. You are drawn to it or you are repelled by it. That's, by the way, why on the tefillin shell wash, we have a shin with four, with four heads. Because it makes sense, three heads, hochmabina and das, that's your intellect. Why four heads? Because das is really two. Das encompasses both love and fear, the two emotions. And that's why when we when we think deeply into something, we end up with deep, rich, and real emotions towards that thing. The Rebbe ends off in, in the third chapter. Wow, this is well, Baruch Hashem. The Rebbe ends up in the third chapter by saying that if you have an emotion that didn't come from Das, meaning genuine, focused, um, and uninterrupted, supposed to be meditation on the idea, and we do have emotions without that, those are called fleeting emotions and they dissipate very quickly. And that's really what we could call inspiration. And this is one of the big differences between Chabad, uh, Chabad Hasidus and everything else that I've understood is that the world's all about inspiration. Everyone wants inspiration. We need to hear the next inspiring speech and we need to be inspired. We need to be inspired. Chabad's not about inspiration at all. Chabad is about knowing, about knowing things so deeply that you're not inspired. It's you. The emotion is you, you and the emotion. It's not like you have this inspired emotion. It flies in and then like everyone knows, it flies out just as quickly. When you know something and you've owned it yourself, then your emotions towards that thing are real and genuine and they will be there forever, or at least much longer than an inspired emotion. Okay, that's chapters one, two, and three. Any questions?